G'day everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Place to Call Home podcast. Today we'll be chatting to Cam Griffin. Cam has a really interesting story, and one that I think a lot of people starting out in agriculture can learn from. Cam is a passionate advocate for regenerative ag, and we touch on a lot today. We also touch on Cam's leasing business, and the way he's even subjisting out some of that country. Now, while it's a little bit different, this episode, I thought it would be fascinating for those people just starting out in agriculture, and I suppose this is a pathway into running your own operation on other people's country. Also, adjusting and leasing can sometimes be a bit of a daunting topic for those just starting out, and Cam does a great way of breaking it down and really delving deep into starting out. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Cam, thank you very much for jumping on the Place to Call Home podcast. Mate, before we get too far ahead, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, where you're from, um, what you do? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Sam. So, yeah, my name is Cam Griffin, and um, with my wife, Matilda, we live in um, Gamary in the South Burnett region, kind of in southeast southeast Queensland corner. Um, I spend about uh, 50% of my time working at a feed store um, in Mergen, a town about 15 minutes north of us. And then I spend about um, another 50% of my time working on my own little grazing operation, um, Binui, Binui Family Grazing, so a little regenerative um, enterprise that I got going there at the moment and, and just trying to scale up in the midst of scaling um, there at the moment. My wife also works in Mergen, the same town, and She's a vet nurse, so yeah, we've been been down this way um, for a little while now, a couple of years, and yeah, really enjoying it. It's and it's been great. So yeah, you weren't originally from that part of the world. Um, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, where you came from originally, and did you grow up on the land, or what was your connection to the land? Yeah, for sure. Yes, so I actually grew up uh, in town in Cairns in um, far north Queensland. But, yeah, I think I found um, a connection to the land probably through a combination of a few things. I think probably the fact that my mum and her side um, of the family were from sheep stations in Blackall um, probably had a bit of an influence in talking to her dad, my granddad, um, you know, when you're younger about, you know, listening to stories about life um, in the bush probably kind of captivated me a bit and, and got that, that fire started, got me interested. And then um, probably just the maybe the, the mundane activities that we used to do growing up. So um, a lot of remote fishing and, and um, uh, bush camping out on stations is probably where I fell in love um, with the Australian landscape and you know the the diversity of animals that inhabit it. I just remember um, every time we'd go out, I'd I'd never want to come home. I'd I'd always want to stay out there. Um, and so yeah, I knew I kind of wanted to have um, a career or an occupation that um, involved those two things: um, the Australian landscape and livestock uh, or, or animals. And so, you know, I thought grazing would probably be the the perfect, um, you know, the perfect career. So that's what I that's what I decided to do, and that's kind of all I've 
really wanted to do since I was pretty young. Mate, it's definitely a bug. And once you catch it, it's pretty hard to get rid of agriculture. <laughs> Mate, touching on your career, earlier on you went away and did a university degree, but then you actually had a bit of a change of paths. Can you tell us a bit more about that and what led to that decision? Yeah, certainly. Yes, I went. Um, so after I, I finished high school, I went down to UQ in Gatton, the ag college down there, and studied agribusiness and it was a great it was a great degree we learned a lot about how to run a profitable business the you know the the um the economics of it the key metrics to kind of analyze and keep a track of and i suppose you know the majority of the actual agricultural teachings so you know the 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 practices and the ideas they they seemed fairly you know, standard at the time, I didn't know any better. Um, and and so it probably wasn't until about, I'd say, two years after grad, graduating that I started to think that something was a little bit off about, you know, the current um, agricultural uh, industry. And um, I suppose that's probably the, the beauty of being a first-generation farmer is that I didn't have any preconceived ideas about how things should be done. You know, this is how granddad did it and this is how we're going to do it. I was fairly open-minded. All I wanted to do was um, have a, a profitable enterprise that, you know, looked after the the soil and, and, and whatnot at the same time. And um, so that's when I started to kind of come across the regenerative ag movement and basically, yeah, I just noticed um, there were a few farmers out there and a few pioneers that were focusing on the health of their soil and their ecosystems before anything else. That was kind of their uh, number one resource and everything followed from that. And so um, I, I, it, that really appealed with me. It, it was um, just trying to emulate nature and and follow these um, patterns that have been occurring for for millions of years. So um, I I noticed um, that they were grazing their cattle in a completely different way and they were farming in a different way. They were just trying to mimic these grazing patterns that have happened for thousands of years. And as a result, the productivity of their farm and um, you know the health, the health of the end product um, of the food was you know a lot more nutrients and a, a lot better for the people, um, the people consuming it. And so that's that was the the one side of it is the food. But I suppose um, a big part for me, um, you know, is trying to get my foot in the door with agriculture um, was that it didn't require a lot of. Um, uh, investment in heavy machinery and um, infrastructure. I just had to kind of invest in my skills and management um, and learn these kind of regenerative techniques. And um, you know, I thought that would that would help me access and get my foot in the door a little easier. Mate, that's fascinating. And I suppose I want to touch on that first initial lease block. Um, now you initially did start off around Cairns there. Can you tell us a story about how you, you come about that? 
and how you started leasing that country and, and I suppose repairing the landscape? The first lease block was actually around air in the Burdekin. And um, yeah, I was working on um, yeah a property, uh, a mixed uh, farming enterprise up there. It was grazing and, and we had some small crops. And he had a section of his farm that was fairly run down. It was it was not being managed and nothing was really being done with it. So kind of with the 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 knowledge that I now had or I'd I'd been reading and researching and I was just chewing at the bit to to really implement it. I uh I approached him about, you know, leasing that first block. And he was happy. He was happy for me to do that. So I um I went in, you know, I, I got rid of all the 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 timber regrowth, I fenced the paddock, and I started implementing um, these grazing techniques that I that I saw other people were using to heal the land, and I started implementing it there. And so, after a little while, you know, I approached him about a about a lease. You know, does he want any lease repayment? And after him seeing what I'd done to it, you know, he he didn't want anything. He was just happy that um, the land was being used and that, you know, he could see that it was actually being improved. So, so that was the... Sorry, yeah. that, so that initial land block, sorry jump in there, but that, I reckon that's fascinating. So that initial lease that you did at the start there, what was that conversation? Did you, before you started working that land and improving it, how did that conversation go with him? Or was it? Did you say, "Look, mate, I'm, can I lease it? Give me, give me five. Let me show you how I can fix up this bit of country." Or, you know, did you have a price tag on that first bit of lease lease paddock? Or how did that conversation go? So, the first one, I suppose, because because it was a little, it was different because he was my boss and I knew him, you know, for a few years before that. How I approached him was fairly different to how. I approach, um, you know, new landowners that are wanting to lease their farm, and and we can definitely touch on that whole process of how I leasing paddocks with with potential landowners. But with him, it was fairly it was fairly um, fairly casual because I'd known him for a little while, and um, it, it was more so. Look, I've got these. I've got some new ideas that I really want to try out, and I think they could be beneficial to to your block. Um, so he he was on board with it. He wasn't using it, and he 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 thought that there probably would be some type of exchange. You know whether um, you know he just you know took some money out of my pay or whatnot. But you know it ended up that he was just happy that. Uh, that something was being done with it and that it yeah that it seemed to be improving so i think that that's probably how that initial one went with him but definitely um we can talk about how that conversation goes with um people i've never met before yeah but i suppose i was just interested because initially it is that relationship having that relationship with someone usually gets your foot in the door straight up it's and it's something i've touched on a lot so far in this podcast is use those initial starts always come from developing a good relationship and having a good reputation so mate from that first block where you're working for your boss and you've cleaned up the paddock and 
and he's got and and he's you know he's started letting you lease it out. What was next? How did you start growing your numbers? And 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 I didn't I think you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but you also had a bit of a sea change and a position change during that time. Can you elaborate a bit more? Yeah, for sure. So so we did move down um, from the Burdekin down to the the South Burnett region, and I wanted to keep on implementing that same model because I could definitely see how it worked. So I did see a lot of um, vacant idle land just um, just sitting stagnant, nothing being done, and I suppose just screaming out for some youthful energy to come in and manage it. Um, and a big part of that, I think, is probably that, you know, the average age of the Australian farmers, like 60 years old now. So there's a lot of farmland that's about to change hands. And I think, you know, if you're, you're, you're in the right mindset and you've got some passion, then there's definitely a big opportunity there. So a big difference, though, from from the previous kind of um, lease block that I had is that I was now using other people's livestock. So because cattle prices were a record high, um, I found it really hard to 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 stock these farms. So I would I would get the blocks, and then I found it hard, um, you know, to to get the cattle onto them. So I would put out. Um, ads for 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 livestock owners and i would bring on adjustment cattle so the process of how i used to start finding lease blocks was that i would have a bit of a radius um, around where we lived and i'd look on that map and i would decide you know how far is too far for me to travel each day and then i would go and drive those areas and I would look just from the roadsides to see um, what what farms, what areas look undervalued, what looked overgrown, and is there potential for me to come in and improve it? So I'd go home and do as much kind of, you know, you do as much scoping as you can from the roadside, looking at the fences, water sources. Maybe I'd then go home and look at kind of an, an aerial image of, of the farm and then if i was keen on it i would do a grazing proposal so i i would write up um how i think things could work between and an agreement between myself and the landowner and generally i like that i like to have an agreement at a minimum of five years and that was just so that if you do any improvements and you know you you increase the productivity you still got a little bit of time um to reap the rewards from that so that's that's how that part worked i'd go home do that bit of a study i, I try find the initial blocks from there you I, I just tried to get prepared and you know know exactly what you say want to know your values and kind of what you you stand for and then basically it was just door knocking from there so I would walk to these farms. I'd I'd walk up to the homesteads, drive to the farms, and you know introduce myself to these landowners. And the biggest part I think at the start is having the right attitude. Like you, you want to come across as really enthusiastic, 
optimistic and passionate about this type of um you know agriculture regenerative agriculture because it starts to rub off rub off on those landowners and they just want to be a part of it so with the with the knowledge that i had about regenerative ag and how i thought that grazing uh ruminant livestock in a certain way could heal the land i would convey to them but that i would i would convey to them that by through my management i could improve the quality of their soil the overall productiveness of their farm and you know as as weird as it sounds i tried to beautify their farm i, I wanted to make their farm look like a show farm you know look pretty you know beautiful fences nice water sources and overall just just looking like a a, a really nice farm and so right. that's where right. i found my point of difference mate how did those initial conversations go like that like you know i know it, it's sad to say but sometimes the older generation you know you see a young fellow like that full of energy come up to their door you know, they they may almost think you're selling snake oil to them. So, you know, like, did you have some that would just, like, get out of here or, like, was it pretty open mindset for a lot of people? What were those initial conversations like that? Because that's, that's very brave to do what you did, to go up to, like, cold call almost, what they call it in the agency game, would be cold calling people's door, knock, knock, knock. Hey, look, you know, I've, I want to try this grazing practice on you. Um, you know, I'm young. I've got plenty of energy. Can you give me a crack? Um, how did how, did you ever get shut down? The door slam in your face, or were they pretty open? Yeah. So there, the majority of them were definitely open to the conversation. Um, and there, I think the the part that probably got them the most worried or or a little bit confused was, um how I tried to explain how I was going to rotate that cattle around. And it, it kind of meant that I was going to have to do a, a fair bit of uh, internal fencing, um, you know, just subdividing paddocks up. And it was all temporary stuff. Um, however, this whole concept of a different style of grazing uh, just, you know, didn't resonate with them and they weren't quite sure um, what I was talking about. And so, yeah, you're right. There are there probably were two or three uh, landowners that you know they they didn't want it. They they weren't keen on it. They didn't really get how it was going to work. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, you just have to move on from those guys and just just keep working and um, focusing um, on on the on the landowners that that work in because. There were some that hadn't heard about it and were keen, and there were some that kind of had heard, have heard about. Uh, sorry, there were some that hadn't heard about it and were still keen, and there were there were a few that had heard about rotational grazing and cell grazing, and were still really keen on it. So, this season of a Place to Call Home podcast is sponsored by Roger Hill. Who is a rural and regional property value based in North and Northwest Queensland. Roger is incredibly passionate about the Australian people, the bush, 
and keeping the next generation coming through. So be sure to get in touch. You can contact him on 0418200046. Thanks, Roger. You're a legend. So after those initial conversations and, and, you know, they say you can come on the place and start leasing it, did you start setting up a lease agreement at all with those people? And I suppose on the other side of the coin, did you have adjustment agreements for the people that you were running their cattle with? And if so, where did you find those agreements? Did someone give them to you or share them with you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So from the initial grazing proposal that I did, I brought that with me in kind of like an A4 sheet in a, um, you know, like a plastic sleeve, and I'd, I'd take that with me. So that was the initial grazing proposal. That's how I thought things could work. And I'd give that to them, and I'd leave that with them and, you know, just wait to hear and, and, and see what they thought about it, and that's when they'd say kind of yay or nay. And from there, I... Uh, I would just adjust that proposal to become more of an agreement. And this is the tricky part. This is where it was a, a big learning curve for me is that it, a lot of, it, a lot of the landowners who are very, you know, you know, farmers are that they've had safe land in their, their family for generations. They hold it so, so close and dear to them that, um, just leasing out a paddock for five or ten years is quite a daunting thing. So something that I learned was that you have to have a little bit of trust with your landowner because the the agreement between myself and them couldn't really be too legally binding, I, I guess, is one way to put it. So we'd have a written agreement, but how how legally binding that was, to what extent, would kind of vary. Because what I found out quite early was that you go up to an old cow cocky, you hand him a piece of paper that says sign your farm over for five years, he'll tell you to shove it. And so, so I had to kind of, you know, come down a bit and and be like all right well it's not going to work if i come at it with that that approach you know that it's just you know this is my farm now and and that's it it had to be more of a relationship and there had to be a bit more trust there so we did five year agreements but they were kind of just on you know agreements that we both came up with and that we could both um work with and I would say they're not necessarily 100% legally bound to the lease. However, when it came to the agreement between myself and the cattle owners that I brought in on adjustment, that's that's um, a point that I definitely uh, made um, to be you know to to done to be done properly. Sorry. When it came to the agreement between myself and the cattle owners, I made sure that that was very legally binding and that that was done properly. So I used uh, an 
I used a leasing agreement that I found online through a law company. And it was basically just an online template that you could modify to your specific details and you know how how you guys wanted to make things work. But that was the that was probably the 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 agreement that you really have to get um you have to get right because you you could be in for you know quite a bit of money if you know cows get uh, cows get out on the road or someone gets damaged um oh, sorry someone gets hurt things get damaged and you don't want to be liable for that so there there are two agreements between you know myself the landowner and there are two agreements between myself the landowner and then myself and the cattle owner and the way you work those two kind of you know it, you've got to make it, it work for yourself but i would definitely say a bit. yeah exactly mate i know that um i'll have to chuck it in the links in the in the notes but i know that ag force used to have a pretty good lease agreement and adjustment agreement they used to be able to share around so if i do find out that i might throw in the notes for everyone else that's listening and young people like you because i know when we initially started adjusting country um it's funny because some people that you were just off, they want an agreement, they want it handwriting. Other people are quite happy to just do a handshake deal. Um, you know, they and and they just, you know, they'll see the bill, they'll send you it, and it's very much, you know, it's their reputation and your reputation on the line. But man, that's fascinating how you did that and how you were sub subleasing it out. How um how did that evolve? Like, how did you go from those first initial places? Did you just keep on driving around your area close by, or did neighbours start talking to those people, looking over the fence, and say, "Look, how goods how goods Cam done to my paddock, mate? You should get him." Um, or how did that grow from that one block around that area to now? I think you've got about six or so now around that way. Yeah, so there's about six there now, and yeah, it it was definitely a combination of the two. I never. I never lost that drive and that, um, you know, every time I drive and even to this day, I still now I drive past paddocks and I think, oh, I could chuck a few cows on there. You know, no one's doing anything with that. But so so I definitely still go around looking for country to lease. But yeah, a huge part of it has been just word of mouth. So what I tried to have was I tried to have like a model farm so so basically a farm that i could say to potential um uh, landowners you know this is what i do if you kind of want to see how i manage the land and i manage the cattle you know go and have a look at this farm or we can meet up at this farm and i can show you how i move them and you know i can show you what i do and so that that's kind of that was a big help because I did have one initial farm that was on a main road. It was on a busy road, and um, two two blocks that I now lease. Uh, the owners of them drove past this initial farm, and they did notice, um, you know, how how neat the fencing looked, or you know the 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 edgeways were slashed and everything was kind of looking nice and tidy. And so they were more inclined to lease it out to me after seeing that. And yeah, so, so word of mouth is definitely a huge part of it. Having a block that you can show people, whether that's, you know, taking them there physically or you've got a block, maybe do it. I've, and I've done it before, do a little bit of a video, 
you know, you can stick it on a USB, give it to them, and that's just a little bit of a a, a snapshot of how their farm could look. Mate, touching on the videos, I'm sorry to throw you under the bus, but I definitely call you a bit of a regenerative ag social influencer, I think. Can you tell us a bit more about that journey? And I suppose why why that journey? Why did you start why did you decide to start promoting, I suppose, what you're doing and the regenerative practices that you were using on those lease properties? Yeah, so I think there were a few parts to that. One of the biggest ones as to why I wanted to get on social media was I wanted to connect consumers with their food as I think there's been there's just been so much separation um, about, you know, people don't know where our food comes from. And I think uh, a lot of that ha- has been to do with, you know, the industrialization of our ag industry. A lot of our fo- food is now produced in kind of centralized factory farms. So people don't really get out on the land anymore or, you know, put their feet in the soil and the people that are in the cities, you know, I think they probably yearn to just, you know, see cows out on pasture or pigs out on pasture or sheep out on pasture. Um, I think that's just something that, you know, people would want to see. And I thought they did. So I thought I'd start posting about what I was doing, Um, you know, and on that also to kind of reverse the the stigma um, that, um, livestock are now destroying the planet. I thought, you know, what I was doing was so noticeably healing the land and reversing um, degradation of our soils that, you know, it's worth sharing. I think it's worth promoting a alternative style of agriculture that um, rather than breaks the cycles of nature, restarts the cycles of nature. So that that's a part of it as well. And then I suppose lastly is that for myself, you know, being a first-generation farmer um, and, and I'm still starting out quite small, I've got six lease farms, but they only make up about 300 acres. So uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make a full-time living competing on the commodity market you know, just selling selling wieners to the sale once or twice a year on 300 acres. That that wasn't going to cut it. So I kind of had to diversify. And what I want to do is I, I eventually would love to go direct to consumer with my meat. So I want to take my beef, do some boxes, um, direct to consumer. And so I really saw the social media as a great way to market um you know people spend so much time on their phones and computers and technology that if you want to get someone's attention that's probably the best place to get it so that 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 was a big part of it too and i thought well this this is a great way to show um the benefits of regenerative agriculture um holistic grazing and and um if i'm able to 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 sell some meat and monetize it, then great. Good on you, mate. Mate, touching on that padded plate story, I think it's so interesting that it's 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 a bit of a growing trend, and 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 like it's one hundred percent see why. Like you know, more profit for the graziers pocket. You know, like he can he can make more money 
Um, he's not getting as much cut out of the middleman and stuff like that. And you're seeing more and more of them pop up. And I think an interesting one is, I don't know if you heard about, is the Our Cow story. And those those guys are really cool. Like they're connecting, I suppose, producers to the the, the consumers. And um, I think it's something that is growing more popular in today's market. So I think you're on the right track, mate. You never know. You could have cams, I know, yeah. paddock to plate. I know what, what do you, I know. What do you you come up with a title yet, or what do you reckon? I ha- I haven't. I think I think to start, I was just going to start, um, you know, with with Benui family grazing, you know, kind of direct <laughs> off farm, but but there probably could be a little, um, you know, catchier catchier phrase I could use. Mate, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, because I suppose I want to keep following your journey across the next couple of years. Hopefully, I don't know if the podcast keeps going that long. So I suppose what I want to do is do a bit of a snapshot of where you are now um, and I suppose where you think you're going to get to over the next five or ten years. Um, yeah, so if you could just roll out, I suppose, what are you, what are you leasing the country? Um, I think you've, you're doing a bit of investment, real estate investment. Is that right or um, and then I suppose, yeah, what's your goal? Yeah, so for sure. Um, so at the moment, got the six lease farms. That makes up, yeah, just uh, just under 300 acres. Then we just bought a house in Gamery. So I suppose that that's an investment that's that just contributes to equity to eventually us um, finding a place to call home. So in the next, uh, you know, five to ten years, I would obviously love to, to, to buy my own property. And preferably it would be linked up to the current lease blocks. So not, not really, uh, don't really have a land area that I'm set on. As as long as um you know it can help tie in and you know it's big enough to to run some livestock and you know I want to do this full time so eventually eventually with the whole custom grazing business that I'm doing so on those six lease farms I'm grazing a majority of other people's cattle I've still got a few head of my own and over the years the idea is just to slowly wean out their portion and just increase the percentage that I own. So the I guess the first the first checkpoint would be to own them own the entirety of the herd. So I own the herd. Um uh you know buy my own farm uh and then I'd really love to get this paddock to plate um business up and going. And you know if I can scale that I'd I'd love to um, get into multi-species grazing, so that's um, that's another huge uh, kind of uh, selling point of Regen Ag is that you can stack enterprises, so you can run cattle, sheep, pigs, chickens on the same land area, running in symbiosis, and they don't really affect each other. If anything, they enhance each other. So I'd love to I'd love to get into multi-species farming. Uh, and and have a range of you know a range of products that I, I'd be able to sell direct to consumer, and a big dream is eventually I'd love to have my own on farm abattoir. So I'd love to be independent of 
you know, the the big conglomerates and the big corporations, which we're dependent on now, um, you know, and they only favour economies of scale. They'll look after you if you got ten thousand head, or you want to stick, you know, three thousand head through the through the meatworks. But when you're a small farmer, there, um, they don't tend to care as much. So I'd love to have my own abattoir and and be quite, um, you know, independent and resilient um, on my own. Mate, shifting gears a bit, there are so many different schools around these days. Have you done any that really stand out for you? I actually haven't done that many courses, Sam. So in terms of regenerative agriculture, the um, the only one I've really done is uh, the RCS Grazing Clinic. So that was a three-day course, and it's definitely worthwhile if you can get to one. Um, it gives you the concepts and, you know, the the know-how, how to use a grazing chart and how to implement had to implement these types um, of grazing strategies just getting started. So paddock divisions, water infrastructure, how you can get set up. But apart from that, in terms of resources and um, I think in, in, in trying to further your skills, for me, the, the, the ultimate has just been um, reading um, a lot of reading. Uh, Stockman Grass Farmer is a is a really great resource. It's a magazine you can subscribe to. Uh, there's a book um, by a bloke called Greg Judy called No Risk Ranching. So that that's a great book if there's anyone else out there who's wanting to do something similar uh, in terms of leasing country and then custom grazing other people's cattle. It, it details, you know, exactly how to do it um, in, in a lot more depth than we've had time to explain now. So that's a great resource for people who are wanting to do that. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's probably um, just that's where I've done most of my learning, Sam. I haven't done a whole heap of courses on, on Regen Ag, but, yeah, just the doing and the reading. Mate, uh, and I'll tell you one resource that's pretty handy and that's been coming up a lot is the old YouTube. Um, like I know myself, if I get a bit bored in the afternoons uh, in between three kids and in life, I don't get many of those times, but I will, I will sit on YouTube and and just go down a rabbit hole. And usually it's about something so random, but whether it's like a history, a bit of a history buff. So I love history, but I've gone down like the permaculture path once or twice before or, or gone down near the regen egg story. Like you do, you can, you can hit, hit something and it's got so much information there and i even know with us if i need to fix something and i don't know how to fix something on the property i will you look at youtube and literally look it up how to do it and there's a good walkthrough on youtube it's an absolute cracker oh 100 it is it is so good and and um the majority of like i've never had a physical you know like a mentor that i actually meet with in person but Oh, I've got a few mentors on YouTube that I've just been using over the years, um, constantly, you know, checking in how they're evolving, what they're doing. And uh, it, yeah, it, mate, it is a rabbit hole. Mate, touching on that mentor path, do you want to share a few with us? And mate, if there's a few interesting, interesting ones, I might chuck them in the links for the um, for the show notes and some people can follow them up as well. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say probably my biggest two um, would be firstly 
Greg Judy. So so he's the one that wrote that book, No Risk Ranching, but he's got a, a big YouTube channel and that's how I initially got onto him. And he he was essentially um the same as same as I in a way in that he he had farmland but he went through a big divorce and um you know he 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 didn't have any country to now uh, to graze. So he started going out and he started um, leasing land. And um, I, I was in a similar situation. I wasn't going to inherit any land, be given any acreage. So I decided to kind of use him as a mentor and follow the steps that he'd taken from from having no land to now I think he's got 2,000 acres and 16 different farms. And so I decided to basically use him as a mentor um, and and he he has some great grazing strategies. He's really big on regenerative grazing and um, how that can play a huge part for the profitability of our um, of our herd. And then probably the second one would be Joel Salatin, and he's he's probably he's like a he's a bit of a permaculture um, you know woo woo holistic farmer in in America and. You know, yeah, I just love I love everything about um, about him, his farming styles. I think they, you know, they do um, pigs, chickens, cattle, sheep, rabbits, you know, turkeys, everything. And um, I just really like how he's he's got everything working together. Um, you know, all all with the same goal of improving the land. And then they have they have an on farm, um, you know, an on farm store where they direct market there their products. And so, yeah, I've tried to use him as a bit of a mentor and um, yeah, apply that to my business. Mate, I think he's interesting, Joel Salatin. One, um, it's Polyface Farming, I think his name is, his organisation, his business that yep. he runs. And I tell you what, I have read one of his books. It's a bit of a cracker. It's, it's the, the folks, this ain't normal. And and it, and it's, and it yeah. really dives down to that, like, you know, how we just the processing of food these days and, and how it's just not normal, the amount of preservatives and stuff that we put in and even the whole paddock to plate journey, um, you know, and uh, like he, he has got a lot of point, good points and, you know, he is, he is a bit of an extremist at the same time, but I found his book fascinating. So, mate, I'll, I'll, I will, I'll throw both of them, Greg Judy and Joel Salatone in, in the show notes, mate, and people can have a bit of a look at, mate, it's been such a pleasure to have you on board today and it's been some riveting conversation. I have got a lot out of it. I suppose before I let you go, have you got one piece of advice that you'd give to someone just starting out on their journey? Yeah, so I'd say specifically because we've been talking quite a lot about leasing land as a way to get started um, in, in our conversation today, I would say one thing that I probably wish that I knew a little bit earlier or did a bit earlier was I was so eager to get more land, more land, more land. And then eventually, you know, I had some people saying, do you want to graze my block? And I said, yes, I said yes to everyone. And, you know, I, I thought I'd be crazy not to, but looking back a little bit, I probably got more blocks than I could handle at the time, which I don't want to sound like I was being spoiled, but you can only improve the fencing and improve the infrastructure on one block at a time. So, you know, I felt as if 
I I made some promises sometimes, um, you know, to to come and get a block improved, but but um, you know, I bit off more than I could chew, and um, you know, I, I couldn't get there in time, I suppose. So, if I could maybe just change things a little bit, um, I I would have just you know maybe got the first one or two blocks, make sure they were just up and going, they were humming along everything was perfect because the main thing that the most important part of this whole leasing land is your relationship with the landowner you you have to put that as priority because you know that that you can't graze cattle and you can't do what you love if you don't have the land and you can't get the land if you've got a bad relationship with them so i'd say if i could give myself just one piece of advice just starting that again i would probably not have you know, scale it up so quickly and and maybe just focus on getting those operations perfect, getting those farms, you know, completed or, or set up, so to speak, and then moving on to the next one so that, you know, I maintain these good relationships all the way. Not that I've ever lost a lease block or I've really had, you know, any any qualms with the landowners, but just for myself, I just wanted to um, make sure that I was doing right by everyone and I think if I start off a little bit smaller, that would, you know, that would mean I could do that. Mate, that's some good gold in that. That's some real nuggets of gold. Look, Cam, thank you very much for jumping on board today. It's been a great chat. And I really hope that's a, like, you know, you continue your journey and going forward because, mate, you've got the go about you. And I think I think it's going to be really cool to see you in a couple of years' time when, when we get you back for a chat. So, yeah, thank you once again. and. Uh, yeah, chat to you soon. No, awesome. Thanks for having me, Sam. And I love the podcast and I'll be tuning in. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode of A Place to Call Home. If you did, could you please share it with some friends and family and even throw a rating? It will help us out immensely. Now, for today's quote, I want to leave you with one from Charlie Chapman. And he says, you'll never find a rainbow if you're looking down. Cheers.